Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Wilder Podcast. I'm Chloe and this is my husband Tom. Hello. So we're doing something a little bit different in our, well, Christmas, New Year, I don't know, seasonal episode. Post New Year on the way to the 2024, but we're doing it now because we've been busy. Sorry. However, it is going to be hopefully useful and interesting for the majority of our listeners, I think. And concise. That's the plan. With that in mind, shall we crack on? Firstly, we've got a little bit of an update. It's a bit of a good news story. And then we'll go to explain what this episode is all about. So I was idly scrolling through LinkedIn, as you do, between Christmas and New Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a pleasant surprise to see our podcast mentioned in an article from Rewilding Britain around their top 10 rewilding podcasts. I know it's a bit of a niche field, but we were still there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm taking it. Yeah, I yeah, know. I think we're... I'd happily be in the top 10 for a post from Rebolding Britain about what we're doing. So we were sixth, for anyone that was wondering. But I don't know whether that was in numerical order or just, just alphabetical. Yeah, we'll Either take, way. We'll take sixth. Um, and there's some great great names up there, uh, Ben Goldsmith's and James Shooter's podcast. So yeah, we're really pleased. Amongst plenty others. They're, they're all wonderful. And we are going to put the link the URL to that in the show notes below for anyone that's interested in perusing at their leisure. So the main effort for this episode is for people who... Maybe they've listened to the whole series, but we've been going for months and months and months now. So maybe they want a, a reminder of some of the awesome guests we've had on, some of the key topics. Or it's for new listeners of the podcast who maybe haven't had the opportunity to listen to the back catalogue of episodes. So we wanted to put together six of the kind of, I wouldn't say greatest hits, because I think that would undermine all our other, uh, other amazing guests, but six of the events during our interviews that we felt kind of most spoke to us. That's three each. We've gone away without telling each other which ones we've picked. And we just wanted to quickly listen to them and then explain why we've picked it and why we thought that other listeners may want to benefit from it as well. Yeah, I think it's been an interesting process thinking about the moments that have really resonated for us both and why that is. But hopefully it'll also be a kind of signposting exercise for people that might want to go back and look at some of the episodes in more detail once they get a flavour of the moments that stood out for us both. And all of the links... All the episodes we mentioned will be in the show notes below. So shall we get into it? Let's do this. Would you like to go first? Uh, why not? So tell me the episode, uh-huh. episode number, who the guest is, yep. and what the overarching theme of the episode is before you explain, go into why you picked that snippet specifically. Okay, I accept your challenge. So the first clip that I want to share with you is one from episode six which was recorded with Professor Alistair Driver, who is the director of Rewilding Britain. And this has nothing to do with the fact they mentioned us in their blog post. This is purely coincidental. Wow. (laughs) And the episode theme was around the work of Rewilding Britain and particularly Alistair's perspective on the role that Rewilding Britain and we as individuals can play in influencing government policy. Mm -hmm. The reason I picked this particular moment is because it was a hopeful one for me. I often feel that when I think about the political system and the role that we as citizens can have with policy, I feel kind of quite disheartened and pessimistic about the influence we have. But for me, this moment with Ali Driver really made me recognise that sometimes these small actions we can take can have really big impacts. Let's have a listen. Now, we're not there yet with rewilding. The government still refuses to use the word. Their conversations are still dominated by a relatively small minority, particularly from the farming world, from the NFU, etc. And so, you know, we still haven't really completed that mission. 
in terms of embedding it firmly in government policy. But nevertheless, there are things that fund rewilding, like the landscape recovery component of the environmental land management scheme in England. They are supporting rewilding projects, which is great. Mm -hmm. Nature for Climate Fund is another one. And this is where we can claim a bit of credit because the Nature for Climate Fund, I have been told by the former minister, Lord Goldsmith, that that came about directly as a result of an online petition which Rewilding Britain set up four years ago. Wow. Calling for government to massively upscale the funding for landscape scale nature restoration. We got 100,000 signatures in less than two months, which secured us a parliamentary debate. And I had the privilege of briefing ministers for that debate cross-party debate where they unanimously agreed with the motion that they should do just that, increase the funding. And within two months, they created the £640 million Nature for Climate Fund. And now quite a few of our member projects are accessing funding from that fund. So that's a good example of where a tiny charity, and there were only five or six of us in the organization at the time, mm -hmm. can make a big difference in the long term. And so successes like that, um, another one is helping to make the case for natural regeneration being funded through the Woodland Grant Scheme, which is now the case, are funded to the same level as tree planting, in fact, which is great. The uptake hasn't been as good as, it, as they would like, but I've just had recent conversations with DEFRA on that as to how to increase awareness and popularity of natural regeneration in that funding scheme. These are little chunks that we can pick off and we use all the evidence we gather from our projects and our, on our network members to help. Yeah, that, that is great. I have such vivid memories of Ali Driver coming to the Grange Project, walking around it, giving us so much of his time and just sitting down, having a homemade cookies in, in the kitchen, just chatting away about his experiences with, with rewilding and also on the archers you know we again listen back to the episode to learn more so it's such a nice man and specifically that i think you know i am definitely one of those people that's pretty skeptical about the value of signing things like those petitions but hearing something like that does make me think well you know i'll tell you what if i believe in it let's sign it who knows what might happen should we uh, move on to the next yeah i'm excited to hear what you've selected so my first snippet is from episode three which is with retired major general richard noogie very unsurprising, probably for most people that don't know him well. <laughs> Big like, shock that Tom's gone with a military connection. First, it was he came on as guest before even the podcast had started, and I think that they kudos to him. But the actual big overarching theme of the episode was all about the probably widely unspoken challenges associated with climate change. Not the facts about the earth warming up and all the other kind of well-known challenges associated with that, but these are the the so what's. It's when climate change happens, or as it's happening now, but as it continues to happen, what are the things can we expect? What are, what are the security challenges as we as a nation should be expecting to see? And I just think as a for a lot of people, it's a different way of looking at things, but it was so important to me because that's one of the major drivers for me as to why I wanted to start the Grange Project with you, of course, Chloe, not just me, uh, and try and do my bit for mitigating it. And this specific segment was picked because it is... It is an uncomfortable conversation. And again, I, I'm, as you will know, Chloe, I love my uncomfortable conversations. It's better said than not said because it's the conversations that are most uncomfortable are probably the ones that most need to be had. And uh, this is just one of one example here of when we talk about things like migration. This is absolutely normal. People move. What is different about climate change? What is different about what is happening this time is, yes, people are moving as a result of war, but when you move as a result of war, as a result of conflict, 
your whole you are forced out and you're forced out and you've usually left something behind whether it's property or whether it's wealth or whatever and you have every desire to go back to where you came from and you have every intent to go back the moment the war's finished and so you get a you get a reverse movement back the ukrainians i speak to are all desperate to go back to ukraine as soon as it's safe they don't want to stay that some want to stay in this country but the majority don't we're actually quite different culturally Climate change has a different effect. If you are eking out a living in a very difficult environment, you will continue to eke out that living believing it might get better for as long as you possibly can because you've got nothing to go to, to take away. You can never go back because if it has become too difficult to live, it's become too difficult to live. But more worryingly is you don't leave with wealth. You leave incredibly poor because you've used every last effort of your of your wealth and of your property and everything to try and survive at home. And now you can't because climate change has made it too difficult to live there. Listening back to that clip for me is just a reminder about how powerful this episode with Richard was. Because although I've been aware about, you know, that there will be mass migration in association with climate change, to really hear about some of the kind of logic that underpins that and the systemic consequences of that is important, sobering and absolutely should be shared. And I think whenever I speak to anyone about the podcast, they often go back to Richard's episode. It often really stands out for people. And I think that's because he was introducing a different perspective that rarely gets played out in the mainstream conversation. Chloe, come on, number two recording. Oh, so this was episode 12 with the lovely Chris DeGorn, who is the founder of Life to Land and a number of accessible resources around rewilding. And this episode was fantastic because it covered some rewilding theory, and it also covered Chris's journey with his own three acres and the creation of his nature reserve. The clip that I've chosen from this episode kind of illustrates a point around the power of stories, because I think often we sometimes get caught up with the factual science behind climate change and biodiversity loss for good reason. But for me, when I thought back to Chris's episode, this story and the kind of images associated with it were really powerful for me. And I just wanted a reminder for us all about the value of stories. I was listening to um, something Tom said the other day about the sycamore gap tree and how people really connected to that story. I didn't necessarily have a, the same take as everyone else did on the sycamore gap because it's sycamore. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. but, but I totally agree that we need to be paying more attention to stories. And like it made me think we had this barn owl on my land and it was coming back and forth all the time. And it was so cool to have this barn owl and I was so excited because how often do you get a barn owl in your back garden and that was effectively my back garden it was like where I was going all the time and like one time I went out there at, at night and I was closing one of the gates and I stood back and they just landed right in front of me like two meters away mm -hmm. on the gate post and it didn't see me because I'd stopped moving as it flew into the field and I just stood there and I looked at it and it looked to me and it took five seconds before it went Oh my God, it's a human. Like, <laughs> flew off, like, completely freaked out and flew off. And I, uh, that was the most amazing moment. And that would never have happened if I'd, if I'd not been there and if the things which I'd been doing on the land had not happened. But the barn owl isn't coming back now. And the reason it isn't coming back is because the next field over, they've put loads of horses on it and the horses have grazed the grass all the way down. And it had effectively been rewilded because they, it was going through the sale process. And all the grass had grown up really tall and loads of voles were running around in this grass. 
Yeah. But now it's been grazed so short that there's no voles there. So the barn owl isn't coming back. Yeah, I think that's a, a great story to end on. I think that's the stuff that needs to get documented and shared. And I'm looking forward to seeing how you do that going forward. You're a very creative entrepreneurial individual, so I can't wait. Oh, Chris is just such a lovely guy. I just can't get over it. Hopefully you'll come visit the land and I get to know him better. I like the fact you picked that recording as well, because basically he says I'm right in it. <laughs> it's true. Yes, it does start off with a nod to your wisdom. So any recording that starts off in telling me that I'm right, I, I'm going to vote for. But it is very easy for us to say that. And, and actually, the practical application of storytelling is such a hard one because it requires creativity. It isn't just data focus. It's not X equals Y. It's a whole kind of myriad of colors that you've got to try and create in there. And, and it's, it is really challenging. It's something we really want to do and want to do more of, but it's easier said than done, I think. You can't use chat GPT to write you a story. Not yet. Ready for my next one? Go for it. So my next snippet comes from episode five and is with Julia Hales, MB. And again, another guest that agreed to come on kind of at the kind of real start of the podcast. This episode covers a lot of things in it, but briefly, it's about smaller scale rewilding and also the important role that the individual has on this. And that's so important because some of the guests we get on believe the individual doesn't have a role to play and it's all about government and policy. Some guests come on like Julia do, and it's, it's good to hear both perspectives and, you know, you've got to pick the bits that sing to you and that's what we're about on the podcast and this specific snippet focuses on the role of the individual and the importance of us being the catalyst or the driver of change and specifically she focuses on kind of corporate and business so the importance of us showing with our buying habits how that makes a difference and also then she essentially takes us to school she explains to us the impact of Pete and again because it was so early on in our journey we have Pete and the detrimental impact of using Pete and digging Pete out of the ground just wasn't on our radar at all and it's such a simple thing to understand and know wouldn't she's explain it to you and we can make those changes ourselves here it is and it needs us as citizens and businesses to push them to go further and to know that that is what we want so they're not going to, for example, triple the price of flights or something or put a huge tax on food that's not produced organically or that type of thing. But they might do things that are going a step in that direction if they feel that the public are with them. So there's an awful lot to do to get people on board to actually saying that that's what we want. And if you take one example that's very relevant to welding that I think that we actually need all parts of that chain to be much more proactive. And it's really sickening that it hasn't gone further. And that's actually in relation to peat, because the use of peat is ecologically disastrous, environmentally disastrous, and yet it is still being sold in garden centres. And people are using it in their garden. I suspect the people who are wilding are still using it in their things, because it's quite difficult to buy plants and know that they've all not been grown in peat in any way. I really appreciate the podcast for moments such as this, because often you get caught up in that, well, what can I do moments? And I think there's some great examples throughout the podcast of practical things that you can take away and action that really send a message to the system about the things that are important to you, like buying organic eggs or buying native plants and looking for peat-free compost is just another great example of something straightforward that we can do that has an impact on a wider scale. 
Right, Chloe, is this your last one? It is my last one. Quickly. So this is a section from episode 10, which was with the lovely Lynn Castles from Lynn Breckcroft. And in this episode, we touched on a variety of themes, but essentially Lynn takes us on the journey of her and her partner, Sandra, in purchasing the 150 acres in Scotland and applying regenerative thinking to it on numerous levels. And she also talks about the importance of connection to nature and her perspective around how that is underpinning a lot of the challenges we're experiencing. So this particular moment I've selected because for me, it had such an emotional impact in terms of release and in terms of an opportunity to really consider what we wanted to bring to our project, but with permission of time throughout that. And it's really sat with me over the last two months as we recorded the podcast around really thinking about what is it that is going to energise us and help us use the passion that we have to develop the Granger Project. I think what I would say, first and foremost, is the land is fine. If you're not doing anything with it, it's fine. That's okay. What you're actually really looking at is what do we want our impact to be? What is it that we're looking to do? And where is that coming from? You know, how are we wanting to reconnect with this piece of land? So that's the kind of questions that I would encourage you to ask yourself. But you don't need to do anything because it's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. Your challenge is to figure out how you can then become an intrinsic part of it in a way that is positive, that is regenerative, that is sustainable, that is enriching, that is all of those things, but in a way that's giving what it is that you need from it as well. I like it. The only thing I'll say here really is that I'll echo what you said at the top. It's that when she said that during the interview, I just felt this bizarre weight I didn't even know was on my shoulders, just lift slightly to go, hang on, give yourself breathing space. The land's okay. Just chill. And that's allowed us really to go away and have those conversations. And, and the phrase that you like saying all the time, and I, and I agree, I think that's, is how do we find the difference that makes a difference? What do our unique skill sets and position give us? And what can we bring to the party, basically? Exactly. How are we going to make the Grange project resonate for us and therefore resonate for other people? So my last one is with Professor Thomas Crother from Crother Labs, as well as being a thoroughly nice guy and kind of person you want to give a pint on the pub. The topic of the podcast covered the biodiversity crisis and why it is seen as the silent crisis. The snippet I've chosen is a very short clip of him explaining why the biodiversity crisis is known as the silent crisis. And this is particularly important to me and both of us, to be honest, wasn't it, Chloe? Because we weren't really aware of a biodiversity crisis. We were obviously becoming aware of the climate crisis and that's kind of what sent us on this journey to move to Wales and start the Grange Project. And then as you're digging into it, it's like a Pandora's box. Once you've opened it, you can't shut it again. You can't unsee what you've seen. And you're just learning more and more about the state of the world. And again, it just reaffirms you know, our decisions, really. Here it is. It's referred as the silent crisis because it's the hardest one for you to see or notice or feel. We clearly were all affected directly by the global pandemic, you know. Pandemics are a big global threat we're, we're very aware of. Climate change, maybe we're slightly less able to feel it. It's global warming. It's, it's affecting the Arctic ice melt. It's affecting the dry lands and, and, the, and the tropical regions. And we're feeling it a little bit, but it's threatening our entire civilization. But biodiversity loss is something for most of us that's happening elsewhere in another part of the world, in another 
existence and it doesn't directly affect us until maybe we see a YouTube video where an orangutan's lost its home. We don't notice the billions of microbial species that are being lost or the thousands of bird species that are being disrupted. And so we don't notice it. And so maybe we don't prioritize it and no one thinks this is the highest priority, but actually it couldn't be more fundamental to our existence. And I guess what what concerns you most about the biodiversity loss and the crisis that you're exploring? Well, uh, quite a lot of things. <laughs> I was thinking where to start. I think actually awareness, I, I'm going to just go very high level. Our lack of awareness for it is probably my biggest concern right now. I'm so glad that you picked that clip to finish on because it's just such a useful reminder of why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> right, well, that's uh, brought us to the end of these recordings. Hopefully people have found this useful. Uh, hopefully it's inspired new listeners to go back and listen to them. Also, um, like it's kind of done to us, it's kind of inspired me to want to go back to some of the ones that Chloe's, <laughs> Chloe's suggested. I was going to close out now, I think, just by saying if you have found this useful or you want to get in touch with us, and there's a whole myriad of ways. Obviously, the show notes will have all of our contact details, your Instagram, which is grange.project. You've got emails you can send us, which is hello at grangeproject.co.uk. We've had some wonderful visitors to the land recently, and uh, we appreciate every single one of them when they come. They all bring different perspectives, different energies, and it's a real privilege to be able to host them around Absolutely. here. Absolutely, yeah. Right, that's all for me, Chloe. Anything from you? No, just to say a happy new year to everyone. I know it's a little bit late, but anyway, I'm going to say it anyway. And we look forward to exciting times in 2024.